Good morning, everyone. Good to see you today. Uh, today is the uh, fourth Sunday in Advent. Uh, Rarati, rara, ra, oh, I'm not even going to try and say it. I'm not a good Latin scholar, but basically means uh, shower from above, shower, O oh, heavens. Uh, first verse of our intro it. Um, and uh, great, uh, great conclusion here to um, our Sundays in Advent with John the Baptist and as pastor preached this morning, um, who are you, John? Uh, which leads to the question, who are you, Jesus? And uh, good, good, good stuff. Uh, I just want to walk through real quick the schedule for this week. Um, so this is probably our second busiest week of the church year uh, outside of Easter. So we still have one more Wednesday in Advent, and that's the 23rd. So we will have our last Wednesday Advent service at 7 o'clock p.m. Uh, so come join us for that if you're able. Um, that'll be the uh, same theme as we have been doing the past three Sundays, the Jesse Tree. Uh, special shout out and thank you to our retired pastors who preached the first three Wednesdays here in Advent. Each of them did a bang-up job. Uh, well done. We are, we're very blessed here. Um, and so now I get the fun job of having to follow the three of them this Wednesday. Uh, so, uh, and then on Thursday, that's Christmas Eve. So Christmas Eve, we have the following schedule. We put that out there on the website, email, uh, and posted that, put it in the bulletin, so you should be aware of it. Same schedule that we had last year, 5 o'clock and 7 o'clock p.m. Uh, will be the service of evening prayer. So that's basically candles and carols. Um, it's a beautiful uh, evening service. Uh, and uh, that will be mask required. So 5 and 7 p.m., mask required. Uh, and then we'll have an 11 p.m. midnight mass, if you will, uh, divine service. Um, so that'll be a full divine service with the propers, the readings uh, for, for uh, the, the midnight service. And then um, Christmas Day, uh, there's actually two services you can have on Christmas Day. One is a sunrise service. I don't think any of you want to get up at sunrise on Christmas Day, or if you are, you're busy baking or um, trying to catch Santa Claus. Uh, <laughs> so we'll do the Christmas Day service. That'll be at 10 o'clock a.m. on Christmas Day. That also is a divine service, and emphasis for that service is uh, the word, the logos, that becomes flesh. Uh, so communion uh, will be at the 11 o'clock Christmas Eve and 10 o'clock Christmas Day, and then the 5 and 7 on Christmas Eve will be service of evening prayer, okay? Mask required for 5 and 7 Christmas Eve, mask recommended for 11 o'clock Christmas Eve and 10 o'clock Christmas Day, okay? Just nod your heads if you're at home watching this or you're here with, that, with me. Um, so that's the plan for that, okay? Um, no other classes, uh, Bible classes. Um, we're basically on a two-week break now for this next week and the week after. So no Wednesday morning Bible class, no Bible classes for catechism, confirmation, uh, or Wednesday evening uh, large catechism study. Okay? Anything else I'm missing on the calendar for a few of the leaders that are spread around the room? Did I, did I cover everything? Okay. Before we get into Daniel chapter 9, which is absolutely beautiful, um, I want to take a few minutes uh, just to give you a little bit of a heads up. Uh, there's some information that's already been circulated, not officially uh, here by the leaders at Advent, uh, but you know how things work in a parish. Uh, once a few people hear about something, sometimes it, it gets out there. Um, and so I want to give you just a little bit of heads up, and I want to do just a little bit of background. And so... Uh, 
Repeat after me this simple little word. You ready? Incense. Yeah. You know what it is? So incense historically, and Wednesday morning people with our study of Leviticus, well familiar with it, uh, incense was commanded by God to be used in the tabernacle uh, and in the temple. Uh, It was uh, used daily. Um, This was uh, to symbolize the prayers that rise before God that the priests were required to pray on behalf of the people. Um, We have the use of incense actually within both our prayer offices and our divine services. Uh, There's a very long-standing tradition of the use of incense within the church. Um, For Lutherans, um, not as much as it used to be. Uh, Luther used incense, loved to use it. Um, but uh, we came through a period of time, at least in our American Lutheran churches, because of pietism, uh, which simply meant a rejection of anything that looks Roman Catholic. And so kind of turn of the century here in the United States, there were a lot of these things that were removed from Lutheran churches. The common cup was one. Um, Incense would be another. Um, Vestments uh, and some other things like that. Um, And of course, there's always been churches that have retained that. So Um, For those of you that were around with the call process, which would be not quite two and a half years ago, but it's certainly getting longer, um, that was a question that came up for me as pastor was, uh, hey, how do you feel about the use of incense? And I'm like, I like it. I've been around it, um, used it uh, from time to time at my last parish. Uh, We did not use it every Sunday at my last parish um, for a couple of reasons. One, there were just some people that just absolutely did not like it, and they were kind of sticklers on that, um, and we're called to bear with one another in love. So the use of incense is not commanded in Scripture uh, or anything like that, uh, and so, um, you know, so that, that's okay. We also had a few people who had some issues uh, with allergies. Um, matter of fact, some of these people couldn't even come to Easter services unless we cut off the, help me out, biology people, pistols? Is that what it's called? Not like this kind of pistol, the pistol that has all the pollen on it. So our altar guild would always cut those out of the lilies because, you know, if we left those on there, they'd walk into the sanctuary and you know, it really bothered them. So, and we just didn't really go any further with that. Um, you know, some of our youth who had been a lot of Higher Things Conference um, were doused with incense at their services and, uh, and liked it. So we'd use it for evening prayer, but not, not quite a bit. So this was something Pastor Grady and I had been kicking around, um, you know, over the past two years. And I was like, you know, at some point, you know, I, I would love to at least teach what it's about and perhaps do kind of a trial run um, to see how that would work. Um, um, incense does not, is not sacramental, first of all. And so part of the concerns I have with incense is how it's used by other um, other churches, um, there, there are some traditions that believe that incense purifies a space. It does not do that, okay? Um, and, and, and even outside of, quote, uh, well, I guess you wouldn't say religion. You know, there, there are <laughs> other pagan beliefs regarding the use of incense. Um, for us as Christians, incense is in the Bible, um, and it's been used uh, in church uh, simply for this reason. Let my prayer rise before you as incense, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. So we have incense in our hymnal and in our in our services. Um, doesn't mean that all churches necessarily you know use it as it's been understood, but incense simply for us 
represents our prayers that rise before God, nothing more. Um, Now, what Pastor Grady and I would like to do would be to just introduce the concept of incense, but also to be very careful on two fronts. One, we do not want to uh, have it be where you walk into the sanctuary and you need to turn your fog lights on. right? So meaning you can see the person sitting in front of you, um, and there's not going to be like smoke everywhere, okay? Uh, We're also concerned about uh, allergic type stuff. So we've actually done some little testing the past couple of weeks where we have um, acquired. uh, Pastor Grady actually, uh, when he was up in Fort Wayne here not long ago, um, we were given some incense that they use up at the chapel uh, at Fort Wayne uh, at our Concordia Theological Seminary. Uh, It's called Sweet Myrrh. And they've been using this for some time, and they actually burn it daily for every service. So whenever you walk into church, not only do you have what you see, think stained glass, crucifix, that sort of thing. So you have sight. You also have sound. You have organ playing. You have, as we did this morning, uh, if you were with us or listened, uh, beautiful violins, uh, voice, uh, music, organ. So there's uh, sight and there's sound. There's also taste. What should you taste every Sunday? You should taste and see the Lord is good. How and where? Bread and wine that is also the body and blood of Jesus. What about smell? See, smell has, you know, worship historically has always been a full sensory experience. Okay? Now, a little tangent. When I went off on what I call my um, mullet-wearing praise band drumming phase... And I didn't really have a mullet then, but I probably should have. Um, Part of the thing with contemporary worship was in some ways it was more liturgical than liturgical churches because everything needs to be mapped out to the very second and the minute. And not only that, you've got lights, you've got sound. Um, And so um, I've I've got some some buddies that are real heavily into contemporary worship. Uh, They regulate the thermostat throughout the part of the service. Did you know that? So certain... uh, 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 you know, lights. So, so some of these, um, I'm not even going to call them sanctuaries, <laughs> but some of these places of worship, uh, completely uh, sound, light, temperature controlled, okay? Um, so you get, you get all these things kind of coming at you, okay? Um, and yes, uh, we even talked one time with the, a praise band that I used to be in about using a fog machine, which some of us had used for other bands we've played before. So we're not introducing fog machines, okay? Um, but worship is sensory. It always has been historically, especially if you go back and study the temple. Um, incense represents the prayers uh, that rise uh, before God. And so what, what Pastor Grady and I would, would like to do is to um, buy some cans of Febreze that are scented with myrrh or frankincense and just no, that's not what we're going to do. I don't know if they actually make that or not, but that's how I want you to think a little bit about incense. We are not going to be purifying because, one, again, incense doesn't do that. Some people believe that incense is to purify a whole sanctuary. Incense is not sacramental. We're not going to be swinging it and purifying and that sort of thing. Um, Some people do swing it to symbolize the prayers, but to me, it's just way too much smoke, um, and it it gets to be just a little much. So what we've experimented with the last couple of weeks, when Pastor Grady came back with some incense from the chapel at Fort Wayne, uh, is we burned a little bit of it at the sanctuary, 
And uh, we've actually um, invited a few people in and said, hey, is this overpowering? Is this too much? And to be honest, it just smells a little different. Does that make sense? And so one of the things we would love to introduce is just this smell to worship so that when you come to church, it smells different than when you go to a concert or you go to the grocery store or you go to take your pick. Church is different. The sights are different. The sounds are different. The taste is different. And even the smell is different. Okay. Um, so we don't have a sensor. That's kind of like a hanging Aladdin's lamp, you know, that hangs somewhere. We don't have one of those yet. Uh, we kind of have our own little uh, sensor that we've put together on our own. It's actually made out of an electrical box. You can look at it if you want. Uh, but it's safe and fire rated. And uh, the incense can be burned before the service. We put it back in the vestry so it's not around anybody. And it just kind of, just a, it's just kind of like somebody sprayed a little bit of a can of Febreze, um, which in our opinion smells better than, you know, our well-deodorized church. If you show up on Sunday morning, you can tell it's been cleaned because the smell of deodorant and carpet cleaner and all that, which is good. Disinfectant is there. Um, and so the incense is just going to mask it a little bit. Okay, so some of you have already heard about this. Um, we have an elders meeting tomorrow night where we are going to discuss this. Um, and uh, pending, um, you know, I guess, approval, blessing of our elders. And not only that, just kind of thinking through some of these things. We don't want someone who is severely allergic to not be able to come to church. That's absolutely ridiculous. I promise you that if incense is something that sets you off, we will figure out um, a way to either not do it at all or some incense that won't do that. Uh, there are many different types of hypoallergenic incense that other churches use uh, that have been good. I also promise you that we're not going to throw it in your face swing it in your face, and you're going to walk in the sanctuary, and there's just going to be smoke everywhere, and your eyes are going to water, and your throat's going to burn, and you're not going to be able to sing, okay? Um, we're not going to do that. We just want a little bit of a sweet smell, <laughs> um, something that is unique, okay, that will teach all of us how unique the divine service and the presence of God is, okay? That's all we're asking. So be patient with us, okay? So what we're going to talk about with, I'm going to throw up on the screen here real quick, so those of you, few, few of you that are here with us uh, can follow along, and at home, uh, this is something that uh, you're probably going to get in the email here uh, Tuesday or Wednesday. Um, the service of evening prayer that we do on Christmas Eve is actually one of the services where uh, the rubrics call for the use of incense. And so we were thinking of introducing that, which means we would burn a little incense about 30 minutes before the service. So you would notice, besides the Christmas tree and the carpet deodorizer, you would notice just a little bit of a, a sweet myrrh, uh, which is what we have. There's also frankincense. There's other kinds. But we would use something that's a little more biblical. So if you look up on the, uh, what in the world is going on in the top left there? Uh, can you go back to the regular page, please, so they can read... The document as written. There you go. Let's just blow that. Can you just make that wider? And I'm going to just step out of the way and just kind of read this to you. This is what you're going to receive, okay? Um, no, I can't read that. You're welcome. Okay, so why incense? He's going he's gonna to pull that up a little bigger for you to see, okay? Five reasons from Scripture. Incense was a regular part of the worship of Lutherans in the early Reformation. Some of you may not have known that, which probably shouldn't be surprising. They were used to it. 
There is no need to reject it, and the Bible provides clear reasons for using it. So here's the question for you, because we are, everything we do, uh, we want to point to Christ, we want it to teach us of Scripture, uh, and so what does the Bible say about incense? That's the question I think you should ask, and we want to try and answer that a little bit, okay? First of all, it has a long history. The use of incense for the worship of the one true God extends from the Old Testament into the New. See, for instance, Exodus 37 to 8, quote, and Aaron shall burn pure, fragrant, or shall burn fragrant incense on it, the altar, every morning when he dresses the lamps. We talked about the uh, menorah last week, the seven candles, okay? When he dresses the lamps at twilight, he shall burn it, a regular incense offering before the Lord throughout your generations, okay? Now, we know that Christ has fulfilled the ceremonial law, so we are not under law to burn incense as they did in the tabernacle or the temple. Jesus has fulfilled that. Okay, Uh, we're free to use incense or not use incense. Uh, Two, it signals God's presence. Throughout Scripture, can you scroll down? Incense marks the presence of the one true God. Exodus 40, verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Uh, See also, um, boy, I can't even read that from down here. Is that Isaiah? No. And Matthew 2, verse 11. Of course, you got the Magi. Uh, which we'll celebrate here during Epiphany. That's uh, that's a part of their gift, actually, to baby Jesus, uh, is frankincense, uh, is myrrh. Uh, John 19, verse 39, Nicodemus brings myrrh and aloes for Christ's burial. Okay, So there's some other connection to the use of incense, not just in burning, but in actually rubbing um, on the body, Okay, the sweet smell. Uh, it's a symbol of atonement. God's presence is gracious, merciful, and atoning, uh, which is communicated through incense. Ephesians 5, verse 2, And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You can also look at Exodus 30 and Numbers 16, 46 to 47. Uh, next one, it's a sign of reverence for Christ. So in the New Testament, incense is reverently used to confess that Christ is the Son of God, the atoning sacrifice for our sins, Matthew 2, verse 11. And going into the house, they, the Magi, saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You know that one well. Uh, incense is also strongly associated with prayer. Uh, incense frequently accompanies the prayers of God's saints, Luke 1. According to the customs of the priesthood, he, Zechariah, was chosen by Lot, to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell on him, right? This was his pee-his-pants moment. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth, Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Okay, and there's some other references there from Psalms and Revelations. Okay? Uh, go back over here on the right-hand column, okay? Um, so uh, scroll up just a little bit. <laughs> so I put, the, I put a sensor up there, and I put, holy smoke, just smile, okay? I'm trying to, to, to get you to think of this in a positive fashion. Okay, scroll on down. So the Bible speaks highly of incense. That, that's something that, that is very easily understandable from studying Scripture. Luther recommended it. And so simple question, why not revive it here? Okay? Now, we can choose not to but I think it's a fair question, okay? You will notice um, a recent change, most likely beginning with our Christmas services, 
a unique smell, and it's not the Christmas tree, which, by the way, I always put a little bit of bleach in our water for our Christmas tree. We chop one down every year. Yeah, we're tree killers. And, um, uh, and for some reason, this year, the water started smelling like dirty socks, which we know the smell of dirty socks quite well because we have four boys. But this year, it was really, really bad. So last night before I went to bed, I went and grabbed the bleach bottle, and I just just put a bunch of them there. So, uh, yeah, that, that Christmas tree water can be nasty. Ugh. Okay. Oh, wait. I should have just burned some incense at home. My wife would have loved that. Ah, wait, we don't burn incense at home. We don't burn incense at Advent. True, we haven't burned incense. But this is actually a common practice in liturgical churches. Our chapel at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne actually uses it daily. So those of us that have been up there, went to school there, studied there, been very familiar with that. Having recently celebrated the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, we have an opportunity to learn more about our Lutheran history as well as scriptural uh, practice. We also have uh, many congregations, Missouri Synod, here in Indiana that actually do use incense. Okay, A lot of people aren't aware of that. Um, incense can take a little getting used to, especially if it's not been part of your church experience. I get that. I didn't grow up with it either. Okay. But we're optimistic that it will enhance the services at Advent in a variety of ways. And that's the bottom line with any worship practice here at Advent. Does it serve the gospel? Is what we're doing serve teaching Scripture, the gospel? Will it help people open their Bibles, have a greater understanding for the reverence of worship? That, to me, are the important questions, and for Pastor Grady as well. Okay? Um, does it reinforce these teachings? In the case of incense, we obviously think yes, or we wouldn't bring this up to you. The incense rollout will be gradual as kind of our plan right now, which will give everyone time to check it out and ask questions. To that end, we've assembled a list of reasons for using incense as well as some facts, which you can find out on the back side of this page. Some of you have actually, I'm not done yet, thank you. Some of us, uh, uh, we've actually had requests to use incense, and we've said, be patient. <laughs> we want to, when we do this, we want to make sure we cover all of our bases uh, and not just, you know, just start doing it. Uh, for some of you, this may be brand new, so we understand. If you have additional questions or comments, please come in and chat with us or send us your email. We'll be happy to talk to you about it, and we want to hear your thoughts. Okay? So I want to make sure you understand that, that to us, this isn't that big of a change. It's going to be just a, a slight smell, almost like a Febreze that, that's going to be done. Um, but for some people, it might be, you know, chicken little, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. Come talk to us, okay? We want to hear from you, um, and uh, we want to make sure everything we do is properly communicated. Okay, look at the facts real quick. So here's answers to all of your burning questions, pun intended. When and how will incense be, be used? Our plan right now is to burn it beforehand since we don't currently have a hanging sensor. If we were to ever get a hanging sensor, it would just be burned in there before the service. But this would be 15 to 30 minutes before a service, so it's not going to be overpowering. There's not going to be smoke billowing out during the service. Okay? Um, will the incense affect my allergies? Good question. We hope not, and we've taken steps to reduce the possibility. We will start with the same brand, Sweetmer, that the chapel at the seminary has been using for some time. Um, and they really haven't had many issues with that there, um, nor do I think they use it too much. It, it's, it's noticeable, um, uh, and so that we're going to have to work through this. Okay? There's only a light smoke, and that's normally at the initial lighting, and the remaining is actually um, is, is, is sent, if you will. 
Uh, it'll be most consecrated initially back in the vestry, vestry. So if you really don't like it, don't go back by behind the altar and hang out back there. That's kind of where we'll we'll burn it and get it started. And it kind of wafts up through the through there. Um, uh, if you're in the pews, the smell is fairly subtle. It becomes less and less noticeable the further back you sit. Uh, we encourage you to come and smell for yourself and let us know. Um, isn't incense Catholic? <laughs> yes. So are liturgies. <laughs> Did you know that? So are crucifixes. So are organs. Uh, so are is uh, stained glass windows, altars, ornamentation of the nave, sermons, baptism, and the sacrament of the altar. Okay? So be careful when you throw that out there. Oh, that's Roman Catholic. Okay? Study your history of the church and understand what the church has always done. Okay? What did Luther think of incense? Good question, right? we got to bring the big guy on board. Luther thought incense was fine. In fact, he recommended its use for the German Mass of 1526 based on the following guideline. Whatever could be kept without harm to the gospel was kept, uh, was, uh, man, why can't I read that? Was kept, oh, see list of Catholic stuff above, right. So whatever could be kept without harm to the gospel was kept. That doesn't mean that Luther expected everyone to use incense, okay, uh, for him, it was a matter of evangelical freedom with the decision left up to individual congregations. So we could roll this out and try it out, and we could have a whole bunch of people that say what? Can't stand it, don't like it. Is that possible? Sure. At which point, you know probably what I would recommend them as a pastor? It's not, these, this is, these aren't things that you split congregations over if people are that, if it's that big of a deal, okay? And that's okay. Okay? But I remiss if I didn't teach you some of the histories and traditions and practice. Whether a congregation has it or doesn't has it, doesn't have it, that shouldn't determine why you're at a congregation either. Okay? It should be about the Word of God. Okay? But if congregation doesn't use incense, does that mean it's worship in some way uh, less Lutheran? So because we've never used incense here at Advent for 25 years, does that mean that we were less Lutheran 25 years before? <laughs> That's what I think about that question. That's absolutely ridiculous. So anytime you have slight changes from time to time, uh, or you learn some things you didn't learn before, if it's not spoken of, commanded, mandated by Holy Scripture, those are just local customs and traditions, and they can change from time to time, and that's okay. Um, so that doesn't have anything to do with that, okay? So don't, don't fall into that trap either, okay? We're almost done here. Hey, we didn't have it at my congregation growing up. Why? Well... You also need to understand a little bit of the history, and I'm going to try and do that very short and sweet. From the 1910s to the 1940s, Lutheran churches in America distanced themselves from Catholicism. At the time, our ancestors felt great pressure from American society for being, quote, too German, jawohl, right, uh, or being too Catholic, appearing too Catholic. Both suggested to the American mind an allegiance to foreign powers. So out went crucifixes, out went chanting, out went the sign of the Holy Cross, out went bowing, genuflecting, use of chorales from Lutheran hymn traditions, chasubles, altar bells, and even sometimes candles. Also out, take a wild guess, incense. Okay. Now, on that note, my previous uh, parish, wonderful church that I served, missed the people there at Peace in Hastings, Nebraska. When I got there, they weren't using a common cup for Lord's Supper, which is perfectly fine. Is it required that you have to use a common cup? It's not. Okay? They had one, 
They just had never used it. And so when I'm getting ready for my installation, this is back in 2008, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm taking stock of what the church has, and I asked the elders, I said, hey, we have a really nice common cup. We do? We didn't know that. Would it be possible for me to use that for my installation? Well, sure, pastor. I said, we'll still do the individual cups. Well, that's fine. I said, yeah, wouldn't that be nice if people wanted the common cup to let them have what they wanted? you know, as well? Oh, that's a great idea. Now we're thinking of everybody. I said, okay, great. Um, And so in order to do that, I also, to teach the congregation, did a little research. And I went around and visited a number of the churches in the area. And I went back historically. And did you know that any church that was older than 50 50 years of age all had common cups? Not all of them still had them. A lot of them had the original ones locked up in a glass case. And so part of what I had to teach the congregation, because some people didn't know, they grew up with individual cups, common cup. Oh, my goodness, what do you want, everybody to get, you know, COVID? Well, that was before COVID. <laughs> you want everybody to catch something? I mean, that's just gross, drinking out of the same wine. Well, that was kind of good enough for Jesus and the disciples, but, yeah, whatever. Um, so <laughs> go back and look at that. We did the same thing when we had a crucifix donated. And I went back and actually uh, found pictures and did history. Every Lutheran congregation older than 75 or 80 years, guess what they had at some point? A crucifix. Okay? Most of them did not currently have one. Somebody removed it at some point. Why? Because of pietism, which affected all of our churches and denominations here in America. Okay? So study your history on some of that. And again... Does it make you less Lutheran if you don't have a crucifix? No. Does it make you less Lutheran if you don't use a common cup? Some people might debate on that. I would say the important thing is the body and blood of Jesus. I have pastor friends that would not like that I just said that. I prefer the common cup, but as long as the body and blood of Jesus is there, okay, Scripture does not mandate that. Some people would say, well, he took the cup, okay, um, but there were also three cups that were used as part of the Passover Seder meal, but that's a whole other discussion. Let's not get into it. Okay, let's move back on here, okay? Um, so, where am I at? Okay, forty. Okay, so we covered that, right? Now, incense seems sort of mystical, magical, mood-oriented, uh, okay? Uh, don't Lutherans discourage these sorts of things in worship? Well, I want you to think through this here. Chanting is actually used by Buddhists for a mystical purpose, So because Buddhists do chanting, does that mean pastors shouldn't chant in the divine service? Okay. I'm just asking questions here. And Christianity has an entirely different uh, purpose. Muslims actually follow a liturgy. Did you know that? There's actually a liturgy to uh, uh, their worship. Okay. But Christian liturgy is entirely different. So also with incense. Christians, incense is used as a reverent confession of Christ who offered himself up as a fragrant offering to God, okay? So it it symbolizes and it helps add to teach what Christ has done for us and for the prayers Christians are privileged to return to God because of Christ's atonement. Let my prayer rise before you as incense, right? Okay. Uh, We don't follow other Old Testament practices, animal sacrifice, right? Um, I mean you know, which you probably wouldn't care for, you know, me quartering, you know, a deer up on the altar, uh, you know, or breasting out a pheasant or something like that. Why incense? Hebrews 9.13 teaches that Old Testament animal sacrifices have been abolished in Christ, as I said earlier, 
the once and for all sacrifice for sin. Many other elements of Old Testament worship don't persist in the New Testament for the same reasons, but incense is different. The New Testament clearly continues to highlight its use in the reverent worship and confession of Christ, and how marvelous that worship that worship can actually involve now with incense all of our senses. Sight, sound, taste, and now smell. Okay? Is incense in our hymnal? I covered this a little before, but here's some more specific stuff for you. Yes, takes place in Vespers, takes place in evening prayer, psalmody, and other rites. And you'll probably recognize the following antiphon, which I've already sung for you twice. There's also several, several hymns that mention it. Okay? Uh, bottom question, will Advent always be an incense church? If we're starting this, does it mean we're just kind of stuck with it? Don't know yet. Okay? That's not, and I can't foresee and foretell the, the future. We plan to introduce the use of incense gradually, allowing both time to get used to it and to ask questions. Ultimately, its use or non-use is left to who? It's left to us together as a congregation, okay? Um, again, you know, um, if you tell me that we're going to stop using the liturgy or the hymnal, I will fight you on that. I promise you that. Um, if you tell me that, uh, you know, you don't like incense, I'm going to say, you know, let's talk about it. If that's a big issue where we as a congregation don't like it, we don't think it's really helping, we think it's hurting, we can decide not to do it, and I'm okay with that. You got it? Do you hear me loud and clear? Okay. All right. So um, it's use or non-use, less to congregations, evangelical freedoms. Using incense now will give people a more informed experience for future judgments and teach more about scriptural and historical practice. Okay. All right. Any questions from the internet or handful of people that are here? Yes, sir. I'll repeat your question so they can hear it. Is there, uh, the question was, are there references in the book of Revelation to incense being used in heaven? I think so, but I'm going to need to look that up, okay? Sorry, my encyclopedic knowledge of Revelation does not extend to that. Anybody else, anybody want to answer that question? That's a good one, and I can, I can provide some more scriptural, you know, references to that as well. Okay. Did you already know the answer to that and you were trying to get me to... Yeah, I, I, um, I don't know off the top of my head. I'm sorry. Um, I'll, 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 uh, I'll do some digging on that. Is incense being used in heaven now or will it be used down the road? Let me do some research on that. Sorry, I'm not a smart man. Okay, any other questions? Yes. Say that first part again. What's the tradition of purifying with incense? Why they would, why they would do that? Um, so I was doing a little bit of research for actually hypoallergenic incense because I was just looking to say, hey, if somebody does have a problem with a little bit of the incense we currently use, what options are out there? We don't want people to have migraines or coughing fits or anything like that, again, for what little we will be using it. And when I did some research on that, I came across a couple of Roman Catholic sites that talked about uh, there was a debate that was going on between using pure incense and using incense that had been, help me out, chemist, what's the word, manipulated, removed, things were removed so it 
didn't cause whatever, allergies or whatever like that. And the debate went like this. For some conservative people, they were saying, wow, but we don't know if because it's not pure, frankincense or myrrh, is that going to have the same sacramental purifying effects? And I was like, oh, heads up, <laughs> antenna up. No, I don't, you know, I don't know about that. Um, so I don't want to just throw it out there and say that all Roman Catholics believe that incense purifies a space, but I certainly know that some do believe that, okay? We certainly don't because nowhere in Scripture, I mean, incense is not sacramental. God doesn't promise to work through it. It's not a means of grace, um, you know, so we would not go that go that far with it, Um I do know that if you get in, I don't know if I want you to get in and study some of this. When you get into mysticism, and I remember a trip we took years ago before we had kids. We went out to Sedona, Arizona. You ever been out there? Beautiful place. Do you know what Sedona is supposed to be? The Our head elders in the back going like this, right? Um, is supposed to be, I don't know what it's called, the intersection for all things planes of existence and all this other stuff. And I remember walking through... Uh, a gift store, and they had all sorts of incense, and and part of it was purifying not only evil, but uh, creating purity in the air that will help you better connect with blah, 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 blah. So yes, there are other religions that also teach that incense does something mystical to a space or a place, okay? Um, and let me make sure you hear this clearly, that is not true, <laughs> Um, nor is that important for how we would use it in that sense. It's symbolic. Think of it like a stained glass window. Just instead of looking at it, you smell it. It just helps to teach what Scripture is. That's it. And, you know, for me personally, I'd rather have a smell of, of, of myrrh or frankincense than Febreze. That's just me. It's unique. It's not something you're going to normally have at home or anywhere else or you're going to smell. It's going to be unique to worship. Um, and I, I think that says some things. So, question in the back? Will, will incense affect COVID-19? Um, I do not think so. Thanks for the question. So, I don't believe incense would have anything to do with COVID-19. So, okay. Any other questions, comments? Anything come across on email there, Sonny Boy? Okay, okay. Um, so I wasn't planning on doing this today, but because we'd kind of been doing some testing, some word kind of got out and around already, and I wanted to go ahead, you know, everything we try and do is, uh, you know, upfront and communicate and don't want people thinking, oh, rah, 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 rah. So that's why in talking with our head elder, decided to present this to you today. And there'll be something coming out in the email. Um, elders are going to meet tomorrow uh, for our last meeting of the month uh, and a little uh, end of the year fellowship. Uh, and uh, we're going to talk through all those things and try and uh, find the uh, best way forward. Okay, any other questions? Which gives us just enough time, okay, um, because I want you to uh, spend some time um, this week studying Daniel's prayer from Daniel chapter 9, okay? So let's jump into Daniel chapter 9 real quick, and I'm going to have just enough time to read this to you and make a few comments, and then we're going to come back um, uh, next week, and uh, we'll, we'll dissect this, okay? Um, 
Okay, so remember chapter 7 and chapter 8, these are set aside from the first six chapters of Daniel. Uh, So this is Daniel recounting some things. These are dreams and visions that have been given directly to him that he is now reporting. Okay, but this doesn't follow the chronological fashion of the first six chapters of Daniel. Furthermore, we have also seen a switch from from, uh, those uh, previous chapters being written in Aramaic to being written now in Biblical Hebrew. Okay, so chapter 9, here we go. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descendant Amid, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books, another word for books there is scrolls, he's reading the writings, the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem namely 70 years. And we're going to talk about this next week, but Daniel now is studying Holy Scripture, which has been passed down, um, and and the Holy Spirit is also giving him revelation, which is how God, in the past, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. In these last days, spoken to us through his son. So Daniel is receiving direct revelation, and part of what he receives is information that Jerusalem is going to be laid to waste, made desolate. And this is all part of already the interpretation of the dreams that Daniel did uh, for uh, Nebuchadnezzar uh, and also for, that was for Darius, right? Okay, so there's there's, uh, 70 years um, and uh, we know that the uh, exile of God's people was 70 years, pretty close. So northern kingdom and southern kingdom, uh, 70 years. So that's part of this, but let's read through the rest of it. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame. As at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, and all the lands to which you have driven them, because of the treachery that they have committed against you. I'm going to stop right there. This is a very profound confession of sin that Daniel is making on behalf of who? All believers at the time, northern kingdom, southern kingdom, they've rejected God's word, they've sought after false idols, okay? To us, O Lord, verse 8, belongs open shame, So what do we deserve for our sins? What do you deserve for your sins? Death and damnation. Wages of sin is death. Okay. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame. To our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we've sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness. Right? So the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is everlasting life. Okay? So Daniel has faith. 
Uh, we have rebelled against him, have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we've sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us, by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And just think real quick, Daniel here, along with everyone he knows taken into captivity, does he blame God for that? He blames himself, blames the church at the time, right? So how do you think about difficult things that happen to you? (laughs) You probably blame God as opposed to just saying, I'm a sinner, and maybe I could have prevented this in some way, shape, or form, but I don't deserve good things, as opposed to falling into, you know, and it was a secular thing back at uh, uh, Daniel's time, and it still remains today, a sense of entitlement <laughs> that we deserve all the good things. We don't deserve anything good, folks. Folks, we're poor, miserable sinners. But God will still give good things. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself, as this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. Okay? So uh, Daniel continues. We're going to pick that up next week. Um, this is one of the great sections, one of my favorite parts of Daniel, besides what we covered uh, 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 last couple weeks with the vision of the Son of Man that comes. Um, so uh, we're going to dive into more of this next week, okay? I hope you learned something today. The Lord be with you. Uh, hopefully we'll see you Wednesday night and maybe Thursday and maybe Friday. Uh, if not, if you're traveling, the Lord be with you. May he send his angels to protect you. And uh, God bless us as we conclude Advent and uh, now prepare for the wonderful celebration of Christmas. Okay, let's stand and close with the Lord's Prayer. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Peace be with you. Amen.